All right, well, good morning once again. Uh, I've already mentioned this before. I started doing a lesson on Proverbs, and uh, it was getting long. And uh, so I figured I would continue going through some of our stuff uh, this hour, and uh, hopefully I'll get done. I might not. But uh, we talked a little bit at the very beginning. We talked about really what the Christian's attitude towards work was, right, that we're obviously supposed to be busy, supposed to be getting after it. Second uh, Thessalonians 3 talks about those, basically, if they, don't want, if they don't work, they shouldn't eat. We see the reasons for work in Ephesians 4 and verse 28. Of course, we know we work for ourselves, but we also work for others to support those that are in need. And then we looked at some verses in Proverbs that talked about really uh, you know, diligence and, and, and laziness as well. And I wanted to, uh, my next section on this was choices that lead to poverty. And sometimes I think we recognize that, some, I mean, sometimes you just get in situations where you're poor and there's not a whole lot you can do with it. I mean, if you're, if you're born in poverty, there's not much you can do about that, all right? But a, a lot of times there are choices that you and I make that can cause us to get into those types of situations. And so you think about some of uh, the reasons that we may have, right? So we, we looked at laziness. We already talked about that in our class. Uh, you think about lack of education as well, especially in this country. And even outside of, of a traditional education, you think about uh, lack of education, any type of a trade or skill or any, you know, anything that you can uh, be productive in that would be pr- producing an income. You know, also, we just think that you just there's just bad financial decisions, right? You know, maybe you, you bought a car that you can't afford and uh, it gets repossessed, it, you, you, it destroys your credit. All the, you know, we can think of for days about all these decisions that are just, you just, you just made a, 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 you know, not a smart move. And, um, you know, there's other specific things in which we can look at that can cause us to lead to poverty. But one thing, that I wanted to look at that I think is a great example for uh, poor choices and I think is really a problem in this country is really uh, is uh, in regards to uh, unwed mothers all right so children out of wedlock and you know we may talk about that in another lesson in Proverbs but we can see how a sinful action or a sinful action that may be seemingly at least in a lot of people's minds innocent at the time can lead to hardships throughout the rest of their lives this is a quote from an article made by the brookings institute and it says let politicians school teachers and administrators community leaders ministers and parents drill into children the message that in a free society they enter adulthood with three major responsibilities. Pay attention to this. At least finish high school, get a full-time job, and wait until 21 to get married and have children. Our research shows that of American adults who follow these three simple rules, only about 2% are in poverty and nearly 75% have joined the middle class. So not stayed in the middle class, they have joined the middle class defined as earning around $55,000 or more per year. 
there are surely influences other than these principles at play, but following them guides a young adult away from poverty and toward the middle class. Right? So here we have these three things, and I think we all understand get education, finish high school, obviously go to work, but look at that. Wait to get married and have children. And this is not wait until 21 and still be single and have kids. This is you get married and then you have children. That that alone plays a huge part in whether or not somebody in this country is in poverty, all right? So 2% are in poverty, again, and even those that are in poverty, if they do that, they are very, very likely, the odds are for them that they're going to move from poverty to the middle class. And so we also see this other statistic that marriage promotes self-sufficiency. We see the families uh, with children that lack self-sufficiency, so basically they can't provide for themselves or on some type of government assistance. Single parent so and female-headed families, all right, so this is single mothers. 37% can't provide for themselves compared to the married families. It's only 6.8%, all right? So, again, if you have children out of wedlock, the, the chances of you being in poverty are dramatically increased. And so, you know, Miss Wanda, uh, at, the, at uh, the 9 o'clock, she made a, uh, a mention that our government actually helps put people in bad situations, like with the assistance and the disability and all that stuff. But... If you look at this graph, this is a growth of unwed childbearing in the United States, all right? So from 1929 to 2013, so if you looked at the very beginning of this graph, very, very low, it increases. What happens in 1964? The war on poverty begins. And so this is where you have a lot more government assistance, welfare programs, and we see this just kind of just... It's, it was already turning up, and then it just shoots up, and then for some reason there was. I think that that might have been that might. I think that might have been the Great Recession right there. It slows down, and then it jumps back up again, and so we think about what the government does. It incentivizes those types of things. So, and and really in a lot of ways, it incentivizes women to have children out of wedlock, okay? And so the only thing that I'm, I'm, my main point of, of, of trying to, to get across here is that when we think about our choices, all right, this is, there's not some unknown force in this country that just causes people to be impoverished, all right? It's not bad luck, all right? Many, many times there's specific choices that we make, sinful choices that we make, that causes us to go into poverty. And so let's continue with uh, debt and poor financial decisions. And so does the Bible generally encourage or discourage getting into debt? I think we can understand that generally discourages, all right? And so we see in the Old Testament there are situations where people are to lend to help those who are in need. We see uh, where people become servants to other individuals to pay off some type of debt. So it's not a situation where it's 
sinful to go into debt here. But what we see is there's, it's very, very unwise uh, to get into debt. Uh, Proverbs 22 and verse 7, a lot of you know this. If you, if you, if you watch Dave Ram, listen to Dave Ramsey, you know this verse. And it, it says that the, um, the, uh, basically those that are in debt are servant to the lender. All right? So they are enslaved to the lender. And so if you are in debt, if you've got that car or house or whatever it may be, you've got to make those payments. You've got to keep on working and working to, get, to make those payments. And if you don't, what happens? They take those things from you. You, there's, there's, you don't have that freedom that you would have if you didn't have those financial obligations. And so seeing that, recognize that there are situations in which we do go in debt. There's a lot of other underlying causes as to why we might go into debt. Sometimes we may go into the debt out of necessity. There's just something that we can't avoid, all right? Just like what we talked about with those indentured servants in the Old Old Testament, all right? Uh, sometimes people use debt to build wealth or supposedly do that. We'll talk about that here in a little bit more, all right? But people uh, leverage debt uh, to access even more uh, wealth. Maybe I'm impatient, all right? Maybe, you know, again, going back to the car, maybe I'm slowly saving up money, but I just get tired of waiting. You know, the Ford dealer puts out a very good deal for this, this car. It's good financing. It's very low interest rate. And I just decide I want it. So I'm going to go ahead and get it, all right? So go in debt to acquire that car. Covetousness, right? So keeping up with the Joneses, right? I see, I see what they're doing across the street. I like it. I want some of that, so I'm going to keep up with them. I definitely don't want them to, to look, like, look like I'm poor, all right? So I'm going to get that stuff. I'm going to get that, you know, maybe the, again, keep going back to the car, the new car, you know, maybe do some renovations on my house to make it look a little bit spiffier. And, uh, you know, maybe I'll go buy me a new tractor, too, because my neighbor's got a new cabin air tractor, and I can't let him get one over on me. And so that might, that might be a reason why we uh, go into debt, all right? And so that's sinful. Covetousness is sinful. We also think about lack of uh, preparation, right? So laziness. We talked about that earlier in 9 o'clock class. Uh, maybe, maybe, uh, you know, maybe I'm a farmer and I should have been making preparation for something. You know, maybe I should, during the wintertime, maybe I should have slowly been acquiring seed or whatever it may be. Time gets away from me, supposedly, and then I wait till the last minute. And then, for whatever reason, I have to go into debt, and, you know. And so we have that, and we see both of these, right, those are those are both sinful things. This idea of laziness is sinful. Wait till the last minute. Uh, just not getting stuff done. We've seen the proverbs that that is those people are devoid of understanding. A lot of times associated with wicked people as well. So these two need to stay away from. These two, I would say, we need to stay away from as well. Right. And so, 
Going back to the idea of using Delft debt to, 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 to build wealth, we got a lot of realtors in the house. And so, you know, occasionally, I it must be Facebook's algorithm or something, but occasionally I see these videos of people talking about them using their home equity to go buy another house, and then they use the equity in that house to go buy another house, and then they just keep going and going. And I remember it was some video of, of a guy saying that he was $25 million in debt because he was buying these houses. And then at the very end of the video, he says pretty much something along the lines of investing in real estate is the key to financial freedom. And I just wanted to yell at him through my phone. I was like, how is being $25 million in debt financial freedom? Because, yeah, you can get a lot of money through that, all right? But you better hope your tenants keep paying rent, right? You better hope that COVID doesn't have a round two and they they stop paying rents and you can't evict them because you're done, all right? And so all those things look good, at least in the, in the current and the short-term future. But in the long term, that can devastate your financial uh, situation. Proverbs 20 and 21. Let's look, at, let's look at Proverbs 20 and 21. Proverbs 20 and 21, it says, An inheritance gained hastily at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. An inheritance gained hastily at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. And you think about the prodigal son, about what he did, Right? So he won this inheritance before the appropriate time, and he goes and he blows it. It's said on prodigal living, and then he blows it all, and he's in worse shape than he was before, all right? And so if he would have just waited, he would have been all right, okay? But all that money and all that stuff acquired hastily without any type of work, just something about the mind that's just, it's just not as precious, uh, to me, and it's very easy to be done away with. Uh, here's a quote. It says, by the time they have been retired for two years, 78% of former NFL players have gone bankrupt or under financial stress because of joblessness or divorce. Within five years of retirement, an estimated 60% of former NBA players are broke. Right? So... A lot of these people, they're in these professional sports, and a a lot of them, all right, they come from bad situations. They don't have anything, okay, but they invest their time in football or basketball, baseball, whatever sport may be. And so what happens, they receive a lot of money very quickly, okay. And so the the big problem is, is really they don't have any financial sense, but there's a lot of other situations that go into that. A lot of them, they giving a lot of money to family, you know, and their their friends they'll be giving money into. I was reading this article, and there's people that that they would invest their money in just absolutely silly stuff. People convince them to invest in these things. And uh, marriage as well. So marriage, and then they're divorced, okay? And so that is a huge issue while they are bankrupt, right? But I think this verse here kind of ties into that that you gain it very, very quickly without, and there's no 
wisdom involved in how to use that money appropriately. And so what happens is that it's just done away with. And, again, this is just one of those things that I can't, I can't process because if I was an NFL player, it would be about three years and I'm done. Y'all would never see me again, all right? Because it's hard to, to, to think about the money that some of these players uh, have. And it's just how do you spend that? Right, if you do the math on spending millions and millions of dollars in this short period of time, that's a lot of money going out hourly, daily, and it's just it's just blows the mind. All right, and so you see that, and we see those bad financial decisions. And I think what we ought to do is all think about and just pay attention, use a little bit of wisdom when we are making those choices. Make sure that. We look at our finances. We just don't. We just don't spend money just to spend money, and recognize that just because I'm making enough money to afford this thing right now or make the payment on this thing right now, it may not last. All right. There's a there's a statistic. I can't remember the exact percentage, but the the vast majority of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. And so, if you think about a uh, husband and a wife, they may have kids. Both of their combined incomes, and they're still living paycheck to paycheck. Well, what happens when one of them gets sick? What if there's some, you know, what what happen, you know, what if one of them dies? What's going to happen to the family after that? Well, there, I mean, it's it's financial ruin after that. Okay, and so one has to make their financial choices based on that. They have to use again a little bit of wisdom, a little forethought, and making those choices, and not just living for the moment but going on to our next point of course we've been talking and bashing on those people that are poor but we have to recognize that being poor is not always a bad thing a lot of times when we look at the proverbs when and we see things that are written that are are beaten down on the poor it's because of their laziness or some type of a sinful attitude all right but we have to recognize that being poor is not always a bad thing let's look at proverbs 19 proverbs 19 proverbs 19 in verse 1 it says, better is the poor who walks in his integrity than one who is perverse in his lips and is a fool. In verse 22 of the same chapter, it says, what is desired in the man is kindness, and a poor man is better than a liar. All right? So, if you're rich and you have that attitude, you're a liar, you're, you, know, you don't have integrity, you're worse than that poor man. Uh, chapter 28, verses 6 to 11. Chapter 28, verses 6 to six and 11. It says, Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than one perverse in his ways, though he be rich. And then in verse 11, The rich man is wise in his own eyes, but the poor who has understanding searches him out. So again, verse 6, similar to what we said, but even though uh, this person uh, is rich, right? He's perverse, okay? And in verse 11, we see where the poor man here, which I think this is interesting, he says the poor man who has understanding searches him out. And so I get this idea of this rich man going about his business, 
and then the poor man is, is watching him. He's watching what he's doing. He's watching how he gets his income, and he's just using that observation to gain wisdom. All right, and so the rich man may be wise in his own eyes. All right, and so he may be thinking he's got it all figured out. But this poor man, he realizes that he doesn't, and he's looking to others to guide him. And so what New Testament scripture can we think of? Talking about being poor. There's a, there's a lot to do. And it's, and it's very interesting in the Proverbs, because if you just if you read a lot of the Proverbs, you will get the idea that being a poor is not, that, not good. Okay, But when we, when we turn to the New Testament, who does God favor? God favors the poor. Who that some of the hardest rebukes are given towards those who are rich. And why is it? It's because that they trust in those riches. Okay? And so those that are poor, they don't have that issue. They're, they more readily accept the gospel. And yet we also see with the apostles that they oftentimes are impoverished. The, I mean, having almost nothing. The, point, the only thing that they have is a little bit of food and just a clothes on their back. And yet they're still content with how they're living. All right, And so we have to recognize that with all this, there's, there's situations that we can't avoid. And it's better to be a man, a poor man with integrity, than it is to be a rich man uh, who is wicked. But even though... Being poor is not always a bad thing. There's also plenty of scriptures that talks about the benefits that wealth can bring. All right? And I think we can all recognize that. Let's look to Proverbs 10 and verse 15. Proverbs 10 and verse 15. So this is kind of similar to what I was just talking about. Uh, in, in regards to making these wise financial decisions. Uh, Proverbs 10 and verse 15 says, The rich man's wealth is a strong city. The destruction of the poor is their poverty. So you think about strong cities. You think about cities of that time, had these big walls. It was protection against whatever was going out around you. If the enemy came, it was going to be hard for them to get in. And so... When you think about uh, having this wealth and this stored wealth, if you have some type of emergency, it can help you get out of it, all right? And so if you had some type of savings and you go break an arm or whatever it may be, if you, if you don't have any savings, it's going to be tough because you're going to have a hospital bill. You're also going to be out of work for a while. You just better get ready. But if you have savings, if you have this wealth, it's going to help you get through those hard times much, much easier. I think this is what uh, the writer here is saying. But those poor, what do they have? They don't have anything. They're going to be destroyed. Uh, Chapter 18, verse 11. Chapter 18, verse 11. Again, it's the same idea. The rich man's wealth is a strong city, like a high wall in his own esteem. Let's turn to Proverbs 13, verse 22. Proverbs 13, verse 22. 
It says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. So again, I had this idea of this diligent, good, wealthy man, and what he was able to do was actually to provide all the way to his grandchildren. And I think, I mean, you may have ran across people like that, that they, these individuals, that they have wealth, but a lot of times they'll go without certain things, right? You may see them, they may be driving a 20-year-old truck. They don't, they don't look wealthy, but what are they doing that for? They have their mind set on the future to provide for their own, okay? And the Proverbs writer describes that individual as a good man. And we see uh, that the wealth of the sinner, though, it is stored up for the righteous. And ultimately, I think what we, we can see is that those wicked people, that they have this wealth, it's going to be destroyed in some way. It's going to be done away with uh, in some manner eventually. In chapter 14, verse 24, chapter 14, verse 24, says, The crown of the wise is their riches, but the foolishness of fools is folly. All right, so, again, a lot of times we think about rich people, we think about we don't have a favorable view of them. And there's a lot of people that are rich that are just terrible people. But here, you know, again, it talks about those good individuals, that they are wise, all right, that they are wise, and you can see that through what they have. And there's, and there's individuals in, in the Old Testament, think about it, Abram and his wealth, and those other people that have that great wealth that kind of showcases who they are as an individual, all right? And so it's not, not always the case, obviously, but this is what we can expect. And finally, in chapter 19 and verse 4, chapter 19 and verse 4, if you notice, I have an asterisk by this verse because I want, I want you to realize that we can read this verse, but better be careful with this, all right? So it says, Wealth makes many friends, but the poor is separated from his friend. And so... Obviously, we know if you're, I mean, if you're impoverished, you're homeless, you're destitute, you're usually going to be by yourself, all right? There's just not a lot of people that's going to be there right with you, all right? But we see with this wealth, it makes many friends, but we have to be careful with that because a lot of these people, they don't have... They're, they're, they don't have best, the best intentions for you, all right? They're not around you because that they like you. There are some that they are, but a lot of them, they're just trying to get after your wealth. You have people that call you and, you know, talk smooth to you and talk about what they can do for you. You may, have a, you may become wealthy and you have an accountant friend or a stockbroker friend, and they all of a sudden they call you and, you know, we all know what they're wanting, all right? They're wanting the benefits from your wealth, okay? And so even though we can gain these friends, be careful with that. Use a little bit of wisdom in regarding those friendships amongst those individuals, okay? And so we looked at being poor, that it is... Not always a bad thing. We just read where wealth can be bring benefits. We looked at 19 and verse 4, all right, that there's benefits, but we have to be wise in dealing with those relationships. And then we have other verses that talks about 
being careful. Be careful that it's not just all all you know roses and and blue skies while being rich. Let's look at Proverbs eleven. Proverbs eleven verse four. Proverbs eleven verse four. It says, "Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death." Okay, and so also in verse twenty-eight of the same chapter it says, "He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage." Okay, so again, there's benefits to wealth, but what's going to happen to them in the day of wrath and the day of judgment? None of that's going to do you any good. It's not going to matter whether you're rich. not going to matter whether you're poor. All right? And so if you follow God, you're going to be blessed regardless of income. If you're a sinner, you're going to be condemned regardless of income here. That's not going to, you're not going to be able to buy your way out of that. And then uh, we also see this idea of trusting in riches. I believe it was all, we've already mentioned that the problem with this wealth the problem here is trusting in that. So a lot of these condemnations in the New Testament talks about the wealth. It's because of those individuals trusting in those things. They think because they're wealthy that they're special, they can endure any type of hardship, but they don't realize that it's not. they're not going to be able to escape God's wrath. Let's look at uh, chapter 23 and verse 5. Chapter 23, in verse 5, it says, Will you set your eyes on things, on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. And uh, so, again, we have this idea that you can acquire riches, but oftentimes they're quickly scattered. All right, so the, the riches that are gathered hastily, so that inheritance that's gathered hastily is going to be done away with quickly. A lot of times riches are done away with quickly. And at the very least, when you die, that's all gone, right? You can't be, a lot of times we will say you can't take it with you, okay? You're not going to be able to take all that money. You're not going to be able to take that fancy house with you, all right? So it's just going to be scattered. Let's go back to chapter 13. Chapter 13 and verse 7. It says, There is one who makes himself rich, yet has nothing, and one who makes himself poor, yet has great riches. And so here, uh, you know, we kind of get into those spiritual concepts, right? So those that are poor, yet have riches. What does this individual have? Usually he's very, he's, he's probably spiritually minded. He's a godly individual. He has inter- integrity. You know, probably has family, all those things, but yet he's still poor in regards to wealth. But yet this man is more rich than the person who has a lot of wealth, right? And so uh, you hear about these people. You know, they have bunches of money. I think about Scrooge, Ebenezer Scrooge, and he has all this money, and yet he's, I mean, he doesn't really have anything. Okay, because all his life is just focused on acquiring this wealth. That is his, I mean, that that is his wife is his wealth. I mean, it's all about that. That's all he ever thinks about. And so in, in all actuality, he may have all of that stuff, but he really, at the end of the day, he has nothing. Let's go to 22, verse 16. Proverbs 22, verse 16. 
It says, He who oppresses the poor to increase his riches, and he who gives to the rich will surely come to poverty. In the Old Testament, we see the law talks about lending to brethren. And one of the things that we will see is that they're not to charge interest. They're basically whatever you give them is what they're supposed to give back. No more and no no less. And there's nothing you should be doing that will make it difficult, more difficult for them to pay uh, those things back. And so, uh, and also, you think about, we'll be getting to this later, but uh, cheating these individuals in whatever ways, maybe with their wages, maybe with what, you know, maybe cheating them out of some stuff in which you had purchased uh, for them in any way, uh, that person who does that, okay, they're going to come to poverty. They're going to be dealt with. So eventually all things are going to be worked out in the end. And so ultimately, I think what we can see is that there's there's pros and cons to being rich and to being poor. But I think at the end of the day, the one thing that we're supposed to do, we do know that we're not supposed to be lazy. We do know we're supposed to be working heartily as to the Lord. At the end of the day, we need to work and we be content with what we have. Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. Proverbs 30, verses 8 through 9. And I thought I was going to be able to get through all of this, and I'm not, so we're going to have another 9 o'clock class next Sunday on this. So uh, we're going to be at uh, Proverbs 30, and verses 8 and 9. It says, Remove falsehood and lies far from me, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you, and say, Who is the Lord? Or, or lest I be poor and still and profane the name of my God. If you remember, I believe it was in Deuteronomy, and, and Moses, he, he's talking about that the Israelites, they're, they're coming into this land full of milk and honey, and they're going to be giving all these things, and the danger was that eventually they were going to be saying, we've done this all of, our, all of ourselves, right? And that they were going to turn away from God. That those things were going to help them turn away from God. And we see this, this idea, and I think Solomon here, the writer here, is thinking about those things and how the riches here are a danger and we're better off just getting what we need because if we get more, it can turn us away from God. He says, Give me neither poverty nor riches, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and still and profane the name of God. So if I'm rich, I'm on t- the danger is I turn away from, from him. Remember, Lazarus and the rich man. But if I'm poor, the danger is... I'm going to be committing crimes. I'm going to be stealing. I'm going to be, you know, doing what I can to just get that little morsel of food. And so I'm better off just having enough and being content, ultimately, with what I have. Let's look at 23, chapter 23, verses 4 and 5. It says, Do not overwork to be rich because of your own understanding. Cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. We already looked at verse 5. And so 
you read that first sentence, do not overwork to be rich, and, and you will immediately think, what in the world? Right? I'm, I'm supposed to be getting after 24-7, right? That, this seems to be what the writer just told me. I think what he's saying is don't basically get to the point where it's, it consumes you, where you're always, your focus is on that wealth, on that money, and it's just that's the one thing that you are focused on totally, and it's just it consumes you, all right? And so we recognize that, yes, we have to work, but there are more important things in our lives, right? Nothing comes before God. Our work does not come before God and the things in which are required of us by him. And then finally, in 1 Timothy 6, 1 Timothy 6, First Timothy 6, beginning in verse 6, it says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. And so Paul here saying, we didn't have anything when we were born when we came into this world, and so we should be content with just, I mean, almost nothing. What does he say? Food and clothing, okay? Which is a very interesting verse because a lot of times when we think about what our needs are, you know, a lot of times shelter is brought into the equation and maybe some other stuff. You know, nowadays we need a TV and we need a cell phone and, and all that good stuff, right? But Paul here is saying if we got food... If we got clothing and only those two, we shall be content with only those. All right? And so that, I mean, we are just leaps and bounds ahead of that as far as our lifestyle, you know, our standard of living. We can't comprehend that. We, 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 the only time we see that is on a commercial on TV, right? We see what's going on overseas, over there, okay? But yet, we see... The contentment and the problem, if we're not content, those that desire to be rich, they fall in temptation and a snare. If that's our goal, it's going to cause us problems. And so the cure for that is being content with what we have. So we're going to end it there again. We'll finish this next class Monday, uh, Monday next Sunday at 9. And so... I uh, hope this has been useful for y'all. Uh, you know, again, this is not a lesson about talking about salvation or what uh, Jesus has done for us, but this is wisdom, how we're supposed to live our lives, what our attitudes are supposed to be. We're supposed to be ones that are busy, and yet at the same time, we're content with what we have. All right? And so ultimately, we know that all of these things are going to be done away with, and that the one thing that matters is whether or not we're Christian, whether or not we have followed God. And so if there's anyone here who in any way uh, may need anything, they may need the prayers of the saints, uh, maybe they do need to be uh, become a Christian, maybe they need to be baptized, we certainly help you in any way that we can uh, as we stand and as we sing. Will you come? Are you so...